Okay, so here we go. Two John. This is not the Apostle John, okay? It is not a portrait of him. But what I did do this morning is I googled John the Apostle and see what images came up. And I thought, oh, I quite like this image because it's a picture, it is a picture of an old man. And the Apostle John was an old man when he died. And I think, oh, it's just helpful when you see this letter, you think, oh, it was written by a real person. It was written by an old man before he died. And this letter is so short, you can easily think it was just written on one piece of papyrus. It's only 12, I think it's 12 verses, the whole of 2 John. So we're going to read the whole thing. And it was written by a guy like this. And the theme, really, that we've got is just walking in truth and love. So... Here we go. Uh, John, uh, to John. And just to explain it, it says, the first verse says, the elder to the elect lady and her, and her children. Just to, so it's just John saying, he is saying, I'm the elder. You know, this is a church that he knew, that he loved. And to the elect lady, he's just using a feminine term to describe the church. It's a term of endearment. You know, my wonderful, you know, lady. It's, it's not talking about a lady, but it's talking about the church and her children, the people who are part of this church. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because the truth that abides in us, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace and mercy and peace be with you from God the Father, and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find, that some of your to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I are writing a new commandment, but one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as, you, just as you've heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out you, uh, yourselves, so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and his Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him in your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. It's quite harsh. Can't even say hello. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may com be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you as well. What was happening at this moment when, when uh, the, uh, the Apostle John wrote this letter is that the gospel was advancing really quickly and there were house churches that were popping up all over the Roman world and beyond. And the churches were growing and growing and growing. And right at the early days, the apostles had got quite a good handle on going to different churches and visiting them and speaking truth and laying doctrine down. But now this thing is just out of control. And they, they were thinking, oh my word, it's growing and growing and growing. And missionaries were being sent out and churches were being planted out in other, world, in other like, parts of the world and people were, were, uh, were going at places like England and the UK. You know, the, the gospel was advancing rapidly. And so what John is thinking is, well, how do we guard the church? 
How do we keep the church on track with what Jesus really wanted it to be? And sometimes some people were adding stuff to what Jesus said. Sometimes they were taking stuff away. Sometimes some people wanted to go back to an Old Testament model. And they were thinking, oh, can't we just go back to that way and do circumcision and getting right with God through those sorts of laws? And what John is saying is, no, no, this is how you keep on track with what God wants to do. This is how you stay true. And, you know, it is pertinent to where we're at now because there are so many... You can come to church on a Sunday morning, but, like, tomorrow, like, tomorrow morning you can do church again. What, Tuesday morning you can do church. There is so much stuff on the internet. There are so many things around that actually we just need to be careful. How are we building our faith? Does anybody notice anything particular? Any word or phrase that is just repeated again and again in the first... Oh, I didn't even finish it. Oh. (laughs) How did you know that? (laughs) It just constantly says about, it talks about the truth. Know the truth. Know the truth. What is the truth? Well done. That's why I married you, Jill. Thank you. (laughs) Hooray! The truth, what, what, how did Jesus describe himself? I am the truth. Ken, just go on to the next one, can you? He just, Jesus said, look, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And when John is writing this, saying, know the truth, know the truth, know the truth, we're sort of like, he said, just know Jesus. Know who Jesus is. If you want to stay on track with your faith, Let Jesus be the one that you obey, instantaneously. That's quite hard, isn't it? Jesus says, okay, that's just what I'm going to do. Let Jesus be the one that you follow. Let the words of Jesus shape your life more than anything else. Let Jesus be the one that you give up your life for. That you lay everything down. Let Jesus be the pearl of great price. We, we may know that parable where this, this guy walked into a field and he, he saw the one, one pearl. In, not in the ground, because they don't grow in the ground. They grow in oysters, don't they? But he saw this one pearl and he thought, no, that's the one pearl that I want. But I can't afford it. I don't have enough money. So what did he do? He sold everything else he had. And he thought, I just want that. And that is what this is saying. That's what it's like to follow Jesus. Jesus is just the one that we want above everything else. Has everybody, um, do you ever think occasionally we might just treat Jesus like a good luck charm? I mentioned this to somebody else and they said, oh, it's about like pocket Jesus, you know. You sort of like, you really need something, I really need something, so you you know, Jesus, come on to it. It's about this sort of like, Jesus, we just want him to do what we want him to do. And I suspect that that has caused more people to fall away from faith than many other things. To think that Jesus is just about get, giving us what we really want. Now, I tell you, I'm just to let you know, if you give your life to Christ, you've given your, life is far more complicated Actually, life is harder as a Christian. It's more difficult. There's a walk of discipleship that is not easy. 
Jesus didn't call it the wide open easy path that everyone goes. He called it like this small narrow path that's actually quite difficult. And yet we sometimes think if I give my life to Jesus, that's it, everything is much better. He will give you everything that you want. Jesus does give us everything we need. He gives us a perspective that is better than we could ever, ever imagine. But it doesn't look always like what we want. I mentioned a while ago, I read um, a book by uh, John Mark Comer called uh, Live No Lies. In that book, John Mark Comer talks a lot about Eugene Peterson and this book that I mentioned. I just really recommend it. A Long Walk in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. I just really recommend it. And in this book, Eugene Peterson recommends Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So this is how my reading goes. I just sort of like... <laughs> and then I like something. And, I, and so Dietrich... So this is the book that I'm reading now, um, The Cost of Discipleship. It's extraordinary. It's an extraordinary bit. This man... Uh, in fact, can you go on to Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Okay. This man here... I've mentioned him before. He was killed by the Gestapo when he was 39 because he opposed the Nazis during the Second World War. And he, he opposed them so much that he thought, do you know what, I think it's my Christian duty to try and take out Hitler. It, I mean, he was quite radical in his faith. But his thinking and understanding about giving his life up to follow Jesus is extraordinary. Utterly extraordinary. He shaped a lot of discipleship thinking, even though he was only 39 when he died. I would really recommend reading it. This is what he talked... So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he talks about this thing called cheap grace and costly grace. And, and in fact, just go back, go back one minute. If you can. To summarise, cheap grace is a little bit like... Uh, I'm going to come to church. I know that God loves me. I know that he'll forgive me. Bargain. <laughs> Great. Don't need to change my life all that much. Don't need to do anything too differently because if I do fall, it's fine because I know God really loves me. And I know he, he's promised he'll forgive me. And he's my father. And he'll lavish his blessings on me. Now, that is, none of that is untrue. <laughs> none of that is untrue. And this is, this is how Dietrich Bonhoeffer describes it. Just go on to it. Thanks, Ken. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. What, what, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer is saying is that God is going to lavish his grace on you, but it requires something of us. And do you know what? It doesn't just require a little, little bit. It requires everything. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you have to lay everything down. I mean, it, you know, you, we, like, we, sort of, we know this is true, but we don't always really like it. You know, all the verses, that, unless a seed of wheat, you know, falls to the ground and what? Dies. If you want to know the fullness of spiritual life in you, there has to be the sense that, oh, no, God is, I give everything to Jesus. I will give everything to Jesus. And then he talks, so that's cheap grace. Costly grace is this. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. 
For the sake of it, a man will gladly go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy, which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ, whose sake a man will pluck out his eye, which causes him to stumble. It's the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciples leave at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Well, that verse, you know, about plucking out your eye. You think, oh, it's just mad. That's not Jesus does not want one-eyed disciples, okay? He doesn't. He doesn't want one-eyed, one-armed, one-legged disciples. But what he's saying is this: now everything is it's all in. It's all in to follow Jesus. And we'll do anything, anything we will get rid of if it causes us not to follow Jesus. Costly grace, instantaneously obedient. What was the first and the last thing that Jesus said to Peter? Both the times by, by a lake when Peter was by a boat. First and last thing, follow me. Follow me. Do you know one of the story we looked at? We did a, a, a Bible study in the staff meeting on Tuesday about some of these verses. And do you ever know the story of, uh, of Levi, who was the son of Alphaeus, who was a tax collector by the, lakes, by the shores of Lake Galilee? He was probably this guy that would collect all the taxes from the fishermen coming in. Not particularly, he wasn't a nice guy. You know, he wouldn't have been really well appreciated by everybody else. They're all earning the money, and now he's taking it away from it, giving it to the Roman Empire. There's no recollection, if you look at it in Luke 2, of Levi having any previous contact with Jesus at all. And yet Jesus comes up to him, and he says, Hi, Levi. I want you to come and follow me. And what does Levi say? I'm in. He just does it. He leaves it all, and he just says, yeah, and I don't know, I don't know exactly what that interchange was. It would be quite nice to be able to, to know exactly. But the, the, the truth of it is that Levi saw something in Jesus that he just said, okay, I'm all in. I'm all in to follow you. You know those guys when, who were um, the three people that said, oh, Jesus, I'm just going to follow you. And Jesus says, uh, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but you don't don't have anywhere to lay lay your head down. And then this other guy said, Jesus, I'm really going to follow you, but let me just go and bury my father. And then the other one says, let me just go and say goodbye, you know, and all these things, you know. (laughs) And I think that was one of the Jesus that is most unpastoral. (laughs) Because he said, look, let the dead bury their dead. Now, trust me, Jesus was not saying, abandon your family. He is not saying, if you're going to go on a long journey, don't say goodbye, just walk out the door. He wasn't saying that. But he knew that those people were using those things as an excuse. They didn't really just want to follow Jesus with no holds barred. They wanted the benefits, but they didn't want to say, I'm all in. They wanted to go and do other things first. There's so many stories. What happened to the rich young ruler? Yeah, Jesus, I'm all in. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do everything for you. And then Jesus says, right, okay, I'm just going to speak about the one thing that might just get you. Go and sell everything you've got. Nah, I don't want to do that. No, that's fine. Well, in that case, he was saying, no, I want to follow you, but I'm also going to do this, and I'm also going to do this, and I'm also going to do this. And you know what, like, Jesus is just asking us today, 
when, what John was saying to this church here, if you want to stay on track, just go for Jesus. If Jesus says something to you, do it. Do it. Um, Pete, Mac, where is Pete? Is Pete here? Oh, he's all right. I went to France for two days with Pete to see some other people in some churches out there this week. It was, uh, it was quite nice. They live in a really nice part of France. But then when we were going there, I was thinking, why are we going? What, what are we, why are we going? And it was to meet a team of people that do a lot of prophetic stuff and, and really pray for Europe and stuff. And I thought, why are we going? And then I just thought, it's because Jesus said to me years and years and years and years and years ago, plant churches, uh, grow, plant and encourage churches in North London, Europe and beyond. So I, I thought, Jesus, I don't really know why we're doing this, or what it's, but, but I think that's what you've told me to do. Therefore, I'm going to go and do, spend two days when actually there's quite a lot of other things that I could be doing. It'd be quite nice to be doing I just think, oh, I don't really know how it's going to work, but I want to be somebody that is obedient to what Jesus is saying. How many people struggled to come to church this morning? Okay, so, so far, so far, hands up if you're being really honest. <laughs> so, so far, it's toast, and good. Okay, we did all this stuff yesterday, and hands up if you ever get to Sunday morning and you open the curtains and you think, oh, it's really grim outside. Oh, I just had breakfast in bed. Read the sort of like metaphorical newspapers, but it's on your phone, you know, and, and just stay there. It's nice and cosy. And, and you know what? Sometimes I do not feel like being obedient to Jesus. I do not feel like I want to do it. But this is a, this is a quote from the wonderful Eugene Peterson. He said, if Christians worshipped only, only when they felt like it, there would be precious little worship. <laughs> <laughs> Feelings are important in many areas, but completely unreliable in matters of faith. And then he quotes this guy, and he said that the Bible wasted very little time on the way that we feel. And then he explains, it. he says, we think that if we don't feel something, there can be no authenticity in doing it. But the wisdom of God says something completely different. That we can act ourselves into a new way of feeling much quicker than we can feel ourselves into a new way of acting. Worship is an act that develops feelings for God. A feeling for God that is expressed in an act of worship. I'm just, I think there is something that I have really, really learned in here that, that sometimes, and I did say, somebody came in this morning and they said, oh, I'm, it's a real struggle to get here. And to be honest, the only thing that I could really think of is, well, well done, you opened your door and you stepped outside and you closed your door and you're here. Because sometimes we just have to, like, almost do what's right and then expect the feelings to follow on later. And um, as you may know, like we, we have a number of us have prayed on Friday morning for donkey's years now. We just we just love praying. But can I also let you into a really probably not very well kept secret? I am rubbish in the morning. I am really really quite grumpy in the morning. I do not like mornings 
and they do not like me. <laughs> Sometimes there is nothing, and I prefer, much prefer to do things in the, in the evening. However, when I just made a decision that I would be there, that I would go. And somehow, and also just, you know, I refuse to sit down in prayer meetings because I know that if I sit down, I will just like become passive. And I cannot conjure up enthusiasm for God, but the one thing that I can do is this, I can stand up. That's the least I could do. And I could be in the room. And you know, some, I've realized over the years that my feelings are a really bad indicator of how I'm doing. I sometimes just need to do something that takes me closer to God. And do you know what? The feelings then follow on after that. The next, we, we, we're not going to carry on forever on this, but the next part of this passage says this. You can go on to the next one. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though you, I was writing a new commandment, but one that we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. We, I, think, I think probably if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that the whole thing of love is quite important as a Christian. You know, it's quite an important understanding that we do love one another. But it's not just about knowing it, it is about doing it. It's about loving the Lord our God with all our heart. It's about loving our neighbour as ourselves. It's about loving our enemies. And it doesn't start with our emotions. It starts with a decision to do that. There are some people in life, none of them in the room, trust me, people that I play rugby with, people that I do other things, they wind me up a lot. And they do it on purpose. Because <laughs> <laughs> they know. And that's part of sport and all those sorts of things. And that's partly why I do But I have to make a decision that I will love the people that I find difficult to love. It doesn't trust me. It doesn't come because I feel like it. It comes from a decision. It's the mark of authentic Christian life that we give our lives away to care for other people. And I need to constantly say that to myself every day. No, I am choosing today to love people. I am choosing to care for people. John 13, 34 and 35 says this. All men will know, all women will know that you are my disciples when you love one another. There's an evangelistic aspect to it. That when we choose to love one another, other people will come in. Just moving on really quickly. It talks about many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ. I just need to let you know, read as many books as you can, listen to as many sermons online as you can, come to church every single week, go to a life group every week. But if you come across any Christian teaching that does not encourage and exhort you to surrender your life totally to Jesus Christ, walk away. Walk away. And if it doesn't encourage you to surrender every part of your life to Jesus Christ and to love people around you, walk away. 
That's the mark. That's what he's saying. There are some deceivers that have come. And trust me, there'll be loads of people. And they'll talk about loads of other things. And sometimes there are some really good ministries, but they're sort of like, they're slightly like one-armed birds. You know, they just talk about one thing all the time. You know, they might talk about social action. They might talk about healing. They might talk about the prophetic. They might talk about loads of different things. And, and they're really good, but they don't talk about Jesus an awful lot and loving other people an awful lot. And I, and I just ask you, be cautious. Be wary that we might come back to this place where we surrender everything. Uh, just go up a one, sorry, go back one if you can. Where is it? It says, uh, there's something about legacy in there, isn't it? Watch yourselves. Oh, yeah, yeah sorry, verse 8. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for that we may win a full reward. I, I'm sure I, I have told you about my dream scenario. My dream scenario is one that I can get to 85 years old. I don't know if that will happen. I hope, I hope that will happen. You know, that's not what happen. But my dream scenario also is that I suspect we will have moved out of London and that I come back it, when I'm 85 years old and you see this church, Trinity Church. Okay. Now, I, it might still be called Trinity, it might, somebody might change the name, well, I don't know what it is. But my dream is that I sort of like, I come in and somebody says to me, oh, you know, is this your first time here? And I say, and there's a really great welcome team and I'm just going to say, well, yeah, sort of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, sort of, I haven't been here for a while, but anyway, yeah, no. And, I, and then you walk in and you see this church like on fire with the Spirit. You know, just blazing away and people being saved and, you know, and it's grown far beyond anything that I'd have been able to sort of like lead the church. And it's grown and grown and grown. And that, that is my dream. I want to be able to come and see something. And it's, that's why when it says, um, verse 8, watch yourself so that you may not lose what you've worked for, but you may will win a full reward. We want a legacy for our lives, don't we? We want something that is going to last forever and is going to keep going and, and actually it's going to go way beyond anything that we've had. But the Holy Spirit just keeps it being fruitful and fruitful and fruitful and fruitful. And the way to do that is this. Surrender everything to Jesus and keep loving people around you. It's not all that difficult. That's how I will see that dream fulfilled when I'm 85 or whenever it is you walk in. If we as a church know what it is to surrender all to Christ. To give up everything for him. And to keep loving the people around us. And then that, just the last verse that I wanted to focus on, it says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. Just need to let you know as we finish that community is important. You cannot do church on your own. You know, I, I don't know if you realise, but during the lockdown, we went online fairly quickly and we stopped it fairly quickly because we felt we need to be, <laughs> we need to be in person. And actually, I know what I am like. If it's raining and grim and the cold outside, oh, it's online. Do you know what? I can do church from bed. It's great. It'd be so much easier. 
But no, what I think what John is saying here is that it is so important to be there. There's a, a vital social dimension. It gives a structure to our lives. It nurtures our need to be dependent on one another. And it centers our attention on the character and the decisions of God. So to summarize, love Jesus. Surrender all to him. Be instantaneously obedient. And he comes, when we do that, (laughs) he comes with such extraordinary life. And then the next thing is this. Learn costly, rich love for one another. To prefer the other person. To put yourself out for the other person. To love your enemies. I, I think that there is a number of things that need some ministry, you know. I think this isn't a prophetic word, but there, there are probably amongst us decisions that we are making that we're thinking, oh, I need to surrender all to Christ. And I probably need to go and make some different decisions because I'm surrendering everything to him. And if that's true, I'm just going to, in a moment, I'll ask us all to stand up. And if you feel that you have some decisions that you need to submit to Christ and say, this isn't what I want, but I'm going to go with what you have. We're just going to pray that the Holy Spirit comes and ministers to us. And we're also going to pray that we would be a church that knows what it is to love one another genuinely and authentically, costly love, even for those people that we don't love. Can I just ask you to stand? going to pray, ask the Holy Spirit to come into our lives. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is is quick to work in our lives when we come before him. And so if if we say, Holy Spirit, would you show me an area of my life that I need to submit to you, he will show you. We don't need to go digging around and questioning ourselves, but the Holy Spirit will be quick to show you something specific, very specific, that you need to submit to Christ. And that is sometimes the difference. Satan will just give you a general feeling of feeling really bad. And you just a general feeling of feeling down. But when you ask the Holy Spirit to come, He will show you something specific. So, Holy Spirit, we just invite you now. Invite you to come and fill me, to come and fill every single one of us. Father, if there is sin in our lives, we confess it now. We bring it before you. We confess it. Knowing, O Lord, 
that when we confess our sin, you are faithful and just, and you forgive us, and you purify us from all unrighteousness. Just take a moment, just in the quietness of your own heart, to come before the Lord and confess your sin. plan for you. The Lord has another plan. That you are not stuck in sin. That you're not stuck in self-pity. But the Lord has a plan to give you a hope and to give you a future. And as we confess our sin, oh God, come and Lord, fill us afresh. Lord, that life would come in such abundance. Lord, we want to count the cost of being a disciple of you. And if there is a, a decision that you need to make or are making, that you know you need to surrender that to Jesus. I'm not going to ask you to say anything publicly, but I do want you just to raise your hand, to acknowledge something. And then I'm just going to pray that the Holy Spirit will come and fill you. That you'd be able to leave it all at the foot of the cross. That you would surrender everything in your life. Perhaps hopes and dreams that you've held on to. But you just think, no, they're not God's plan for my life. So if that is you, can I just ask you to raise your hand? Father, thank you. Holy Spirit, all these things that we have, we give them to you, O oh Lord. Lord, we want to surrender everything in our life to you. And Lord, we know that when we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, Lord, you give us everything that we need. God, I thank you that when we surrender all, you make us so abundantly fruitful. Oh, Lord. I thank you for the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor standing up to the Nazis, murdered on the last few days of the war in a vindictive way. What a crashing failure. And yet, that was in the world's eyes. In the eyes of the kingdom, O oh Lord, who's had such a lasting impact. God, we thank you. We surrender all to you. And we ask, O oh Lord, help us to be the ones that love those around us. Jesus.